Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. It is no secret that although we are perhaps less enamored with history, from flying cars to robot maids, popular culture is full of depictions of what we think the future will be like. Artists and inventors and designers have been discussing what the future may be like for a long time in Western culture. Nick Montfort synthesizes these thoughts in his new book, The Future, in which he asserts that we can all become future makers in how we think about and use technology. Today, we're talking the future. This is New Books in Technology. I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. All right, so the book is The Future, and we're here with Nick Montfort, uh, who is uh, a theorist, a, a critic, uh, in the digital media space. But before I start introducing you, one of the first things we always like to do on New Books and Technology is have the authors introduce themselves. So who is Nick Montfort? Well, my work is as a um, theorist and critic of digital media, and my perspective on the future comes from that. I'm also a writer, a poet, and I'm interested in how people in writing and the arts and design have approached the future as well. So um, while my book is about technology, it's really about how technology intersects with those sorts of views and, um, and with perspectives on society. Why write the future? Um, well, there's, uh, the future is very interesting. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a compelling topic, I think, for everyone. Many, many centuries ago, millennia ago, people had an idea that everything was going to be the same, that... Um, there wasn't any point in thinking about the future. At most, there would be seasonal changes. There'd be cycles. But, uh, but you know, since, um, the, uh, since the Enlightenment and uh, um, also since the, the 20th century and um, uh, issues with, that have come to light with climate change and with the effect of man's presence on the earth, um, people have seen that the future can uh, change for better or for worse. Um, people have been very concerned about it. Um, so there's been a lot written about the future from sometimes sort of disciplinary perspectives of future studies, but my interest in it is how people working in technology, um, and, uh, somehow connected, uh, with new technologies, um, have uh, imagined a better way for people to live together, a better way for technology to um, improve on the way people think, to improve on uh, the way people learn, um, uh, to make for better societies. And um, rather than just, you know, sort of disrupting things in order to, uh, to make money, they've um, come together with uh, um, ideas about technology and society um, that, uh, uh, that have had a tremendous impact, personal computing being, being one of them. Um, so I've tried to draw out lessons from what different people um, 
who have worked along these lines um, have, have done in engagement with the future. What makes their perspective so interesting? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the issues that I, I think everyone recognizes that people like uh, people who study Douglas Engelbart or Alan Kay, their work, um, you know, are, are pretty easily wowed, and they should be, by the things that have been accomplished in terms of um, uh, Engelbart's mother of all demos, demonstrating his project to bring not only the mouse that he's known for, but also video conferencing, collaborative editing, hypertext, a huge number of advances um, to this, this crowd, you know, even before the 1970s. Um, and then Alan Kay's project, he, he, who Alan, Alan Kay was in the audience there, who went on to think about personal computing and notebook computing and, develop, and to develop these very humanistic, you know, personal ideas of what the computer can do and how it can make a difference in lifelong learning, not just I mean, he was interested in, in uh, young, young learners, but uh, it applies to um, um, uh, people throughout their lives. Um, and, uh, and, and developing, you know, uh, these, these sorts of perspectives. I guess, you know, part of the reason I was motivated to write the book in the first place is, is people know some, I'm not the first person to write about Alan Kay or, or Douglas Engelbart, but a lot of times, even when people learn about them, um, their response is, oh, they really, uh, they really predicted a lot. They had a, they had a, you know, they had a, they had a great idea of what the future would be like. Um, uh, they were really smart. You know, they, they, um, uh, uh, they came up with these great predictions and, uh, to me, um, that is really missing the point because in fact, uh, what, uh, uh, Engelbart K also people like uh, Vannevar Bush, uh, Ted Nelson, and then, as is more widely recognized, you know, Tim Berners-Lee, what these folks uh, accomplished with digital media wasn't prediction. They invented uh, their technologies and the future that went along with them. So I want people to, uh, uh, to be able to realize that, you know, it's, it's not just coming up with a, a new hack uh, or a new app uh, or developing, you know, a particular new product, but, um, a view of how that fits into society. Um, it's, you know, something that's been going on since, uh, the early days of computing. Um, but often, uh, people do focus on you know, when Douglas Engelbart died, the headlines said, Oh, you know, inventor of the mouse. Um, uh, that was how he was remembered. And that's really a minor part of what he did. That was one piece of a, a tremendously influential system to do what he called augmenting human intellect. He wanted computers to be able to help us think better. Um, so now when I go to, you know, when I teach in a classroom and people have their computers or when I'm out at a conference and people bring their computers out, well, if you notice, I mean, almost no one has a mouse. Everyone's using their, their, their trackpad or you know, um, uh, but that doesn't mean that Engelbart's influence has, has disappeared. Uh, the things that he worked on, the fundamental things he worked on, um, have been tremendously influential. Hmm. Now you're, you're mentioning the issues with focusing on the future as far as predictions. Um, and in fact that you, in your book, you, you say the future 
is more about it being an unwritten book. And I was wondering about that metaphor and how you came up with that. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's not mine. It's from Joe, Joe Strummer of the clash. Um, and, um, uh, it is an empowering metaphor. I mean, it doesn't mean that things are going to be great. Uh, but it means that we have, uh, volition, we have a choice, we can, we can, uh, influence things. Um, and, um, so I want, and of course there's some things that in some, in some cases it is, it's worthwhile to be, to be predictive, but I think, I think we know about those already. I think we underestimate our ability for change and, um, in even the, the, in the contemporary political metaphors, even if we're not looking to return to the past to make America great again, even if we're looking to the future, those metaphors aren't always as empowering um, as they could be. So I, I think of uh, my perspective on the future is one of future making or future building or, or designing the future. Those are the, those are the things that I'm most interested in um, rather than the idea of scrying in a crystal ball, you know, to see, um, you know, what lies, what lies in front of us. Yeah. So talk about that. You, in the book, you do specifically use the term future making or future makers. And you said that that's the most essential approach to the future. Um, what, so there's people involved with futurology or future studies. Um, and you know, they would take particular, they have, uh, sort of dis- they have conferences, they have disciplinary bodies of work. Um, there's actually just before, uh, just before my book came out, I was surprised because Oxford University Press has a series of s- similar small books, um, very short introductions, and they have one entitled The Future, you know, a ver- with a different subtitle, A Very Short Introduction. Um, and so, you know, I, I read it and I enjoyed it. I think it's a good, it's more encyclopedic. It's a more, it's a much more standard treatment. Um, and so people who want to see what's going on, um, from that more conventional perspective, you know, that's, that's also a good book to look at. Um, but I'm interested in the threads that draw together things like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, in that book, I think there's, you know, maybe a sentence or two about, um, Thomas More's Utopia, which I consider a very, very important, uh, aspect of, of future making future oriented writing. It, um, the book itself is not, uh, so it's about a place, this, this, or, you know, a no place, a utopia that is supposedly within the fiction of the book, you know, it exists contemporaneously without, so it's not literally about the future, but of course it is about the future. It's about the possibilities for how society could be different. Um, and, uh, and so utopian writing, um, is another thread of work, not, not entirely distinct from what people have been doing as technologists. In fact, um, Douglas Inkebart would write in this sort of hypothetical mode in which he, he described, you know, what he thought his, what, what abilities he thought his systems would provide to people, you know, years down the road. And he would have a hypothetical scientist talking about how he's working with a system. And so, um, so this, this actually isn't entirely uh, disassociated from, you know, the standard types of, of technological invention that have played a role in the 20th century. But, but I find um, that um, 
uh, utopian writing and the thinking of artists and designers, you know, has been tremendously important in enlarging people's imagination and changing what they can do. Of course, um, Douglas Ingebart's amazing demo was one of the ways that that was done. Um, but also Norman Belgetti's exhibit Futurama, which was actually at both New York uh, World's Fairs in different forms that many people uh, went to and had a whole different idea of what mobility could mean within a city, you know, around the country. Um, and utopian writing from people like Edward Bellamy. Uh, he's not, uh, he's not popularly known these days, but an incredible, incredible influential figure in American history, uh, had best-selling, uh, book, uh, this best-selling book, uh, looking backwards, positing basically, you know, socialist society in which people would, um, one of the great, um, scenes in it, which I, uh, paraphrase in the book or quote from in the book is when the, uh, protagonist is out and it starts to rain in Boston of, of the year 2000. And he's like, Oh no, I, I forgot my umbrella. I don't, I'm don't, uh, uh, don't have anything for the situation. And, uh, the, the guide who's showing him around says, Oh, um, here, you know, uh, in our city at this time, we have one umbrella for everyone. And then awnings open up, you know, and everyone is, uh, everyone's provided for, everyone's taken care of. And, um, uh, and it was a very, very powerful idea that motivated book clubs, but even utopian communities. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, also Charlotte Perkins Gilman, um, her uh, vision of this all female, uh, society again, it, not a future society exactly. It was supposed to be somewhere off um, in the wilderness at the same time as uh, uh, as the book was written. That these explorers find, and there's some you know sort of absurd elements to how they reproduce uh, without um, you know ha- having more than one uh, uh, biological sex and so on, but. It's not really the book isn't about that. It's about this this um, question: if women ha- did have a society where uh, you know they live by themselves, wouldn't they be able to do everything? Wouldn't they be able to you know <laughs> govern themselves and you know build uh, housing? And I mean, what what would be the problem? Um, and sort of put this forth and demonstrate it in a way that amid some uh, you know a more absurd, outrageous aspects. There's also this, this plausibility in it. So, um, uh, so I, I'm, I wanted, one of the things I wanted to include in this book, which maybe is, is less conventional in, you know, scenario planning types of uh, views of the future is, um, that, that people do sometimes have these more outrageous and absurd views of the future, but in them, uh, there can be really valuable ways to, um, in, enlarge our imagination and help us think about, uh, help us get out of ruts that we're in currently, help us think about new directions. Mm-hmm. So would it be odd to ask you, are we heading more towards the Jetsons versus Futurama or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Futurama, the TV show, you mean, not the, not the exhibit. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, well, those are both both the both of those shows are are very much about pa- particular quirky things about past visions of the future. So really, they're sort of in line with like they're in line with the Flintstones, right? Which is p- sort of past visions about the past. Um, 
and uh, and they 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 revel in those uh, in in what's a mismatch between what we thought the future would be like, you know, what it is, and sort of sort of amplifying that. And I, I think that I think those um, those things can be funny. They can remind us not to hew too closely to um, like you know uh, the very fine details of particular future visions. But um, if if we spend too much time um, um, laughing about that, I think uh, we we miss the opportunity to uh, to do some of that writing of the future in positive ways ourselves. I mean, on the other, there's also you know some of the things that aren't funny uh, visions of the future. You know, would would be um, uh, dystopian. TV shows ranging from the twilight zone to black mirror. And, um, and those are, I, I think very valuable also in, um, uh, showing the way that, uh, extensions of, uh, of, you know, current use of technology, sometimes not very extreme extensions of those, of those technologies can, um, um, can have, you know, very, very serious effect. And, and so exaggerating some of those, um, some of those negative effects is, um, is, is also necessary. I think in, in, in many ways it's more necessary because, um, if there's something that's good about a technology, then, um, there's many actors in society that have, uh, a motivation to let people know about this, right. That, you know, the corporations that are putting forth these positive uh, products that uh, offer a good future want you to know. Um, if there are things that are problematic, then we have to turn to um, other views from uh, writing, from art, um, uh, and from these types of dystopian shows and imaginations that might um, offer us uh, some pause. Since we're on the we're on the subject of visualizations, perhaps then of what people think the future is, whether that's you know the cartoons I mentioned, the Jetsons of Futurama, but also as we're mentioning now, Black Mirror and say Divergent series kind of uh, books or Hunger Games. Quite frankly, I was wondering what is the what has been the influence of media, film, newspapers, obviously books. We've we've been talking about that on and portrayal and, and the portrayals of the future on public consciousness or public ideas of what the future is. Um, well, I think it's, I think it's been uh, quite strong because I think that um, uh, the future is um, uh, a, a site for imagination, right? It's a place where uh, people um, uh, individually and collectively um, are thinking about what uh, what the consequence of current technologies are, um, what possibilities are for uh, better and newer types of social organization, um, for uh, living in cities in in you know more positive ways, um, and so um, I guess one of the things about the different forms of media. Um, you know, I've, I've, um, some of the book deals with the work of the futurists, the Italian futurists, very problematic, uh, uh, literary and art movement. Um, some of it deals with utopian writing. Um, but there's also certain things that, um, 
on a different scale, the different sorts of media productions are really the only, the only things that can afford, uh, uh, you know, particular new, new sorts of, uh, visions and insights. So to go back to the, you know, the, the, uh, world's fairs, um, general motors sponsoring these Futurama exhibitions in New York, um, you know, provided, um, this immense, uh, vista, this aerialized view, people were taken, um, you know, over this, the scene of what, it, this diorama of what, um, uh, what, uh, we could hope for in terms of, uh, automotive, uh, liberty, you know, in the U S. Um, and, um, that's something that it's, that would, would have been hard for, you know, one person like, Edward Bellamy or Charlotte Perkins Gilman um, to develop in the same way. And some visions, when you're talking about how um, you know urban space might be reorganized, uh, or uh, our ability to n- not perhaps urban space uh, reorganized, but our ability to get around uh, and uh, our possibilities for different sorts of of uh, mobility and different directions for for use of space. Um, that's something that uh, it might be hard for an individual writer to um, to deal with. I mean, there are influential books by by uh, um, uh, individual writers, um, but you know, it might be something that um, uh, a different sort of uh, media depiction that has more investment in it, you know, is useful. So, um, and then you know, something like the sort of um, uh, the way that the the visual design of of Minority Report, you know, contributed to its uh, uh, dystopian edge. Again, you know, it's it's hard, even though it's it's based on a based on a story, based on a Philip K. Dick story, but it's hard for that uh, um, to uh, make its point as effectively um, without uh, big budget. Um, Filmmaking, so I I think there's a point. Uh, I I don't I don't think that um, anyone owns uh, the imagination of the future, but I do think that there's uh, different useful perspectives on the future, and um, so uh, uh, someone putting forth a utopian story or novel might be very well equipped to give an individu- individuated sort of humanistic perspective about what a single person's experience of the world is like and how uh, a different future building and future making might influence that. And then um, some things wait upon um, a larger budget sort of implementation in different ways. If you If you really want to show the uh, sort of God game, uh, third person, um, omniscient view of, uh, of, uh, what this, uh, imagined society is like, then, um, that will probably have to come together with, um, different sorts of resources, different media resources. Yeah. So we've been talking about like technology, whether it's communication talk technology or other kinds of technology and kind of, uh, making the future. But is there a possibility of a future without the technologies that we've come to know or innovations from technologies that we're used to now? Well, I mean, there, there could be a, a, a future um, of human extinction. Right? That, would, that, would take care of, uh, that would take care of the human-built uh, uh, technologies. So, I mean, that is a, that is a possibility. 
Is there a, a Luddite future, perhaps? <laughs> um, it's it's quite difficult. Um, I think that I think choices can be made about about technologies. Um, I don't, but at the same time, it's it's uh, you know, I mean, um, think about a technology like um, uh, nuclear weapons, right? Which which a very transforming effect in the 20th century. Probably along with, along with computers, the, you know the other, the other major technology that had a, a, a global historical effect. Um, you know there, yeah, and and it's still having an effect today. This is still a current item in the news. Um, uh, you know, with with uh, North Korean testing, and uh, and you know questions and fears. Um, about um, uh, that threat, um, I think it was Norbert Wiener who said, "You know, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, it's 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 there. There's some there's some points after which, like once once this technology has been developed, we can't just you know stop it and and, and get rid of it. Um, there are choices we can make. So I think, on the other hand, um, when it comes to computing." Uh, which is the, the sort of technology that I'm I'm closest to. Um, I think we can make choices still about whether we want computers to be used mainly for media distribution and consumption, um, or if we want to be able to educate ourselves and learn in different ways, to be able to think with media, uh, with computational media, to produce different work. Uh, to share work, um, so those are those are the types of tendencies. I mean, it, it's not so much a choice of you know do we do we have a computer or not, um, but you know is it going to be uh, controlled um, in the way that uh, very traditional uh, media rollout, deployment, um, and consumption happened throughout you know mass media in the in the 20th century. Or is it going to be something that um, um, it might have some aspects of that? I mean, there certainly still be um, streaming video services. There certainly still be um, uh, various ways that we do uh, access and consume um, uh, media that's produced um, that you know that's highly capitalized and that's and that's distributed. But will there be space for? our thinking as individuals, for our communication, for our collaboration, and um, uh, for using those, uh, those systems in uh, ways that are uh, empowering to individuals and to um, groups of thinkers. Mm-hmm. So what do you hope people take from your book? Well, um, I, I want to, I've, what I tried to draw out uh, is um, a set of principles, some of which are more clearly illustrated by, you know, some future makers than others. Um, to say that, um, uh, for instance, something that I uh, alluded to already, that it, it's not just what vision you have of the future, but what perspective uh, you use to share it with others. Um, do you take the uh, perspective of an individual going through a society and daily life? So the, the, one of the early um, uh, highly lauded works of design fiction, Corning's A Day Made of Glass, has you know, people going to their job and, you know, 
there with their family and seeing all these new uses for um, uh, glass that can be a display surface, not just uh, you know the typical sort of building material that we expect. Um, so that's 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 one direction. And Bellamy was was doing the same thing when he was presenting an individual who had woken up in this uh, year 2000 Boston and was being taken around in society and and he was being shown from the street level what's going on. But then there's also um, the, you know, the need sometimes to show at a higher level view um, how uh, new imagination for society um, uh, might improve it. So, um, so that perspective isn't inherently the correct one. You need to uh, figure out um, individually or collectively, figure out how it is you want to present the, um, uh, the vision of the future that you have, um, not just what that vision is. What's next for you? Um, well, I just, I just finished up two projects. I just had another book also published, uh, a book of poetry called The True List. Um, and that's, um, that's from Counterpath Press. And one of the things I'll, I'm working on is it's the first in a book series. And it's a series of uh, computer-generated poetry and other uh, literary art. Um, so we have three books that, have, that are out, just came out at the, at the end of the year. And so one thing I'm doing is going with uh, my fellow authors. One is from Mexico City, one's from New York. You know, we're taking a book tour the beginning of February, and we're doing some other events. Um, and I'm looking to work with um, some other authors, some of whom already have, you know, manuscripts in um, to build that series up. That's one of the things that's very exciting to me is that people have been talking for decades about the idea of computer-generated poetry, and people like Atala Calvino and Stanislaw Lim, and um, it's it's a it's a sort of commonplace, you know, um, uh, science fictional idea, but now people are doing it. And not only, um, uh, is it being made, but it's being made in very different ways. So, um, I'm not, you know, the one person, uh, bearing forth the banner of this, but really, uh, getting to collaborate with these other authors, um, trying to, um, help them bring their, their projects to print if they're, if that's what they're interested in or reading the work that they uh, do online and appreciating that. Um, so that's, that's one aspect, um, is this, um, this other book and the things that follow on from that. We want to thank you for coming on new books and technology. I was yeah, very much glad to speak with you. Um, uh, thanks for the interest in the book. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be useful um, you know, to a range of people, people involved in business, but, you know, also communities, uh, activism, um, academics, uh, teaching and learning. So, um, uh, I, I appreciate your, uh, talking with me about it and, um, helping to, um, get the word out and, and letting me think about the book some further myself. And that was Nick Modford with his new book, The Future. This has been New Books and Technology. Have a great week. Thank you.